Gary Renard Podcast, Episode 17. Welcome to the Gary Renard Podcast, your up-close-and-personal connection to Gary Renard, best-selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe and Your Immortal Reality, and a third book to be named later in this podcast. I'm Gene Bogart, your co-host, Gary's co-host, actually. I'm your co-host as well, as well as the producer, and I, since I don't know what I'm saying, let's bring in the man who does, the star of our show. He's here with us. It's Gary Renard. Hey, buddy. How, How you are doing? you How are you, bro? Hey, it's been a while since we've chatted, as folks have let us know. <laughs> yeah, actually, it has been. Uh, I've been all over the place. You're a busy guy. Yeah, I've mostly been doing workshops in warm places, you know, like uh, <laughs> Acapulco and uh, Hawaii and Savannah, Georgia and Arizona and, you know, places like that. Uh, this is the first winter in my life where I haven't seen any snow Ooh, or ice. That's nice. You know, since I've lived this winter in Southern California for the first time. And uh, it's great. How how was Acapulco? I, I, I'd forgotten that you were going down. I've never been there. Acapulco is beautiful. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And I always wanted to go there ever since I was a kid when I saw that uh, Elvis movie called Fun in Acapulco. That's right. Uh, I always wanted to go there. And uh, the people were great. They took me on a boat tour and got to go up to where these cliff divers were diving. You know, one guy dove over like 115 feet. Mm. I mean, it's just incredible. And uh, it's a beautiful place. And we had great translators. I'd say about half the crowd at the workshop could speak English. The other half... I uh, just spoke Spanish, and we had uh, excellent translators come over from Mexico City. There was a simultaneous translation, and uh, my book sold out in Mexico, and mm. uh, it was just uh, really great. In fact, you know, A Course in Miracles is actually growing faster in Spanish now than any other language. Wow. So, uh, you know, I, I really feel like I'm going to be spending more time in Spanish-speaking countries, and I'm pretty excited about that. Especially since many of them are warm. Uh, that's right. But now that uh, spring is almost sprung, or at least it's supposed to have sprung somewhere, um, I'm actually speaking to you right now from Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. You told me that earlier. I didn't realize you were there. So Cleveland, you finally made it. That's right. I finally made it to Cleveland. Uh, and Drew Carey is right. Cleveland rocks. <laughs> because today I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Whoa. Right here in Cleveland, and uh, it was great. It's just a really great experience. Tell me about that. I've never been out there. I hear it's a terrific facility there. Yeah, it's an excellent presentation, and uh, they have a lot of uh, – it's not just memorabilia and, and photos, which are all great, but uh, to me, the, the two favorite parts for me were all the different movies that they show, all the, all the different videos that are really historic and uh, great performances and uh, great interviews, and uh, – they also have uh, kind of like all these classic recordings that you can listen to. Mm. But, the, but the movies are my favorite part. And, it, and this isn't a small place. This is like six stories of, uh, of stuff. And, uh, of course, I, I really like the stuff about the Beatles. But, um, you know, all the other uh, groups are really great, too. And, uh, you know, the only thing that I didn't care for was the fact that they do not have the Moody Blues. No kidding. And, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I, you know, I couldn't believe that because uh, we, you and I, have talked about them recently. Because I went to see them uh, about three weeks ago. Right, I saw them two weeks ago. Yeah, I went. Yeah, I saw them in L.A. And I mean, they were just absolutely fantastic. And uh, they've done some like thirty-three albums. Uh, this was like one of the best concerts I've ever been to. They are terrific. Yeah. 
and uh, their lyrics, you know, Jason's lyrics are like, uh, you know, so spiritual. Justin. I'm, I meant Justin, and this was spiritual. There was a guy named Jason earlier in the. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, you, you know. Let me let me jump in real no, quick. No, Jason was uh, Jason was in Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> Speaking of movies, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> somebody uh, somebody recently we were having a, a discussion, which I think you've seen on the uh, Disappearance of the Universe board on the group at Yahoo, which I want to shout out to my friends in the DU group out there, and all our Lucia and Ossie and uh, and Mike and Lynn. Do I, is that all the moderating team other than you? Gare? Yeah, I think so. I love to. I covered it. They yell at me if I don't mention, but it's, it's a wonderful group. I, I'm very active there, as you are as well. It is a great group. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm very grateful to all those uh, moderators and and everything because they, they've really, uh, as you know, when we first started the group about four years ago, you and I were like some one of the first ones there. And it's yeah. like the first year or so, I did the whole thing pretty much myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, then after it started growing, uh, Lucia really came in and uh, took over, mm-hmm. and uh, she's done a great job. And now we have more moderators, and they're all uh, excellent. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to mention, I am I am going to write a, a strongly worded letter to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ah. about uh, making sure that the Moody Blues get in there, because uh, you know, it's just ridiculous to not have them in there. It's like not having uh, Jim Rice in the baseball you know, Hall of Fame. It just... Uh, you know, it just doesn't work. But as- the Moody's, I was going to say, were really the uh, many people would say they're they're one of the uh, seminal kind of progressive rock, the prog rock groups that King Crimson and Yes and all the groups that came after that. The Moody's really started that whole thing with combining the the Mellotron sounds and the orchestral music. And the one thing I was going to say, and we talked about this just recently on the board, someone had asked me because I had mentioned dropping names that I actually have, uh, have gotten together with Justin Hayward on several occasions to do some TV interviews over the years and just socially just once in a while after a show we'll have get a pass and be able to go back and hey how you doing and, and he and i talk about guitars and stuff really nice guy so i'll stop my story but one of the interviews i had asked him about that because i was thinking their music does always have that spiritual flow to it and not just his but john lodge and ray thomas all the writers they always seem to kind of have that going on so i asked him that kind of feeding him a little bit and say did you guys have any you know particular spiritual background and he pretty much said no you know and i followed up and come well i mean it seems like and he said no it just that's just how we think and write he said it doesn't really follow they weren't like course students or anything like that but it's just that they always had that sort of undercurrent of this uplifting spirituality and kind of uh, you know, metaphysics in their in their lyrics. So I, I was going to ask you that. What do you think of that a lot? And this pertains not just to the Moody's, but a lot of music that really touches people. Um, do you think it's maybe that musicians or creative people tap into this, even if they're not consciously aware that they're doing it? Absolutely. I think there's a very strong link between uh, spirituality and art. I think that, um, for example, the people who have always gotten spirituality the best have been like the poets. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's because of the way that they think they have a more abstract way of thinking. Uh, so, you know, it's really the poets that get it more than, say, uh, the scientists. But nowadays you're seeing kind of a mixture creeping in. It's like I really, it really started with Einstein because uh, Einstein had both the mind of a poet and the mind of a scientist. And so he, so he was able to come up with these grand... Uh, you know, kind of like abstract uh, ways of thinking about things and presenting the universe. But for the most part, I think that artists uh, tend to get spirituality better than anybody else, whether they be poets or musicians or painters or writers. Uh, and so uh, I think it's very natural that someone like 
uh, Justin would just kind of like naturally, you know, uh, express himself spiritually in his lyrics. And uh, so that makes sense to me that uh, it just happened naturally in his case. By the way, uh, my agent, uh, Jan in Hawaii, Jan Cook, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll give a shout out to Jan too. Hi, Jan. Uh, yeah, Jan knows Justin, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Justin. Now, you yeah. guys get to talk to him. How come I never get to talk to Justin? Uh, I think because he's jealous of your guitar playing skills. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You are a, a really good player. I've, I've told people that. I know you, you put me to shame when you play, but uh, Justin's a great player. My other quick comment with him, I was talking to him this one day when I was hanging out with Justin. We talked about uh, how a lot of people have how-to videos, like how to learn how to play guitar in the style of Eric Clapton or play guitar in the style of the Beatles, that type of stuff. And I mentioned to him, I said, you know, you really ought to do like play guitar in the style of Justin Hayward. And he laughs and he, and he goes, oh, I'm just a glorified rhythm guitar. <laughs> And I'm thinking, here's this guy who's this, first of all, one of the most melodic and inventive guitarists of our lifetime. He's wrote these, you know, huge, massive songs, big hits. You know, he's, he's so modest about this stuff. But he's a terrific player. He still is. You know, last week, we, he was just, he can really play that, that 335. Yeah, I sure can. Uh, I saw him at the Nokia Theater uh, near the Staples Center in L.A. I'd say there are about uh, 8,000 people there. Mm-hmm. It, which was a sellout and in uh, great acoustics, and he really is a great player. And the other three people I was with, I mean, they they were just beside themselves because it was so great. I, they we all agreed it was like you know, one of the best concerts we've ever uh, been to. So uh, yeah, he's really someone who put it all together. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they they tour a lot. I mean, they've really been going uh, for thirty years now. They love it, and they have a great fan base who never leaves them. You know, these guys are really uh, really really out there. Yeah, and the thing about the uh, you know the groups from uh, that were out in the seventies and uh, some in some cases the sixties, the seventies, uh, the early eighties, they're the bands that can fill these arenas. And like I saw uh, Queen two years ago. Of course, said it differently, it's singer, but uh, they had the guy from Bad Company. But oh yeah, uh, I saw them in Phoenix. They had like twenty thousand people. Uh, the newer groups, they can't do that. They can't fill a place like yeah. that. But uh, the classic groups. You know, they've really had all those hits. They can bring in uh, three different generations of people. And, and uh, you know, you'll, you'll see people next to you who are 18, and you'll see people, you know, on the other side of you who are in their 60s. And it, it doesn't seem to matter. And uh, so I think uh, going to concert nowadays is uh, a really good experience. In, in a way, it's a spiritual experience, even though we know that only God is real and that everything else is an illusion. That doesn't mean that you can't enjoy it. It's kind of like uh, I say in my workshops, you know, when I go to the movies, I know that it's not real, but that doesn't stop me from enjoying it. You know, and I think that that's what our lives uh, can be like. It can be kind of like a happy dream where, you know, yeah, you know that it's not real, but that doesn't stop you from enjoying it. In fact, you actually end up enjoying it more because as you practice the kind of forgiveness that is taught in uh, A Course in Miracles and the Disappearance of the Universe, then uh, you have less unconscious guilt in your mind. And because of that, you actually end up enjoying life more. Mm -hmm. So there's a paradox there. Uh, You know that what you're seeing is not true, and yet you actually end up having more fun with it because there's less guilt in your mind. So I think it's a really kind of a win-win situation 
if you practice forgiveness. There's less fear also. So you do enjoy it more because you're not like you. very few people actually get worried about what's happening on the movie screen. You know, it may be exciting and shocking or something, but you know, it's not real. And hence you enjoy it more. You don't really want the shark from Jaws actually biting you in half, you know, so this is nice. I can not really fear it. And yet it's a scary movie. Well, if we can treat life the same way, instead of the projectors images, if it's our minds images that we also know are not real without the fear, without the guilt, then we actually can enjoy it more, as you say. Yeah, I really think that's true. And uh, I think it applies to everything. Now, you and I on the, on the private side, we've been talking about animals lately. Right. Uh, and most of the people who have read uh, my books realize you know, that I had the same dog for like 15 years. Yeah, Noopy. <clears throat> oh, yeah, Noopy. And uh, when I looked into the eyes of that that dog, I saw love yeah. in, uh, in those eyes. And I saw intelligence. And there's been uh, kind of like a recent development, I, mostly on YouTube, mm-hmm. where I've seen some astounding videos of animals. And the reason I bring this up is uh, because a lot of people will ask me in my workshops, uh, what about my animals? What about the pets that I love? Uh, they're part of the family. You know, they become just as good a friend to me as anybody, you know, else in the world. Better than most, probably. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, there was this one woman I was talking to uh, last week. She said, you know, I don't know why why women are always comparing men to dogs because uh, dogs are loyal. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like I've been seeing these videos on YouTube. And uh, it's really changing the way that people think about animals and their ability to think. For example, there's a a video right now on YouTube that shows an elephant. And this elephant picks up a paintbrush and paints a self-portrait. You know, paints an elephant. I'm I'm serious. Wow. Actually paints an elephant better than than I could, better than most people uh, could paint. Uh, And it's, it's a... Perfect image of an elephant with uh, it's even puts little flowers around it and stuff, and I mean it is just astounding, and it and it just shows the uh, a level of thinking beyond what most people are giving animals credit for. Yeah, and I've seen other videos at YouTube like uh, there was one in Africa where this uh, you know group of lions attacked a herd of bison and uh, or whatever they call them. There's some form of cattle, right, and. Uh, they stole one of the cattle's babies, and uh, you know we're dragging it away, and uh, all the all the other cattle ran away, and you, you would think that was the end of it. Then what happens is this group of cattle regroups, comes back and counterattacks the lions. Wow! And gets their baby back from from the lions, and they did it as a group. You know, they had to plan as a group. They had to be able to think as a group in order to do this. Yeah, which you normally would not think that herding animals like that, they usually don't have that kind of organized group thought. So that's really unbelievable. Yes, it was like an organized uh, counterattack, you know, on the lions. And, uh, you know, it's just an astounding video. And these are available uh, to anybody on the Internet. And it's really changing the way that people think about animals. And it really is very much in harmony with the way that Buddhists uh, always thought about animals. In which, of course, miracles would certainly agree with. Uh, the basic principle is that mind is mind, and it doesn't matter what the container appears to be. You know, so what we want to do as human beings is we want to think of ourselves as being superior. So we we put a, a value on everything. 
for example, we assume that a human body must be more valuable, you know, than an animal body yeah. because well, we're we're human and we're better. Although I, I wouldn't think that because I swam with some wild, you know, wild dolphins in Hawaii in February, and uh, believe me, I didn't I didn't see any evidence that we were as intelligent as they are. <laughs> I mean, dolphins uh, when they rest. They can't go to sleep because they're they're mammals and they have to breathe and they have to come up, you know, every, every two minutes for air. Mm-hmm. So uh, the way they do it, you know, because if they fell asleep, they drown because uh, they, they don't, uh, you know, we breathe uh, involuntarily in our sleep, kind of like unconsciously. But they have to breathe consciously uh, and they have to come up to the surface. So the way they do it is they put half of their brain to sleep, you know, no. half of their brain rests. No kidding. Yeah, and the other half stays conscious, which allows them to come up every couple of minutes for a breath of fresh air. And and they do this for a couple of hours. Then they uh, put the other half of their brain to sleep and let that rest for a couple of hours. Well, the other half of the brain that's already been rested uh, is awake and allows them to come up to the surface and uh, get some air. And that's how they're able to breathe their entire lives without ever actually going completely to sleep. Holy moly. I I don't I don't think I've ever heard that. So all the kind of restorative and housekeeping and organizing work that our brains do when we're asleep, they're doing one half at one time and then switch. Well, it's almost like like standby on a computer kind of thing. That's remarkable. Exactly, and it's like uh, all these things that are you know being realized uh, lately makes you realize that that the answer to that question that I brought up, you know, do animals make spiritual progress? Well, if you go by a course of miracles. Uh, you know, it, there's that very important law, law of the mind that we've talked about uh, in the past. As you see him, you will see yourself. Well, I would say that if an animal is going through life, uh, seeing with love and learning to come from a place of love, which I've certainly seen in, in many animals like mm-hmm. like my dog and, uh, you know, your cat, Turbo, of mm-hmm. course, is coming from a place of love. And I'm, I'm Turbo's uncle, Gary, for those who don't know. Yeah, Gary's been with, with Turbo on many occasions. And I'll just jump in here briefly to say this because I, I know I've mentioned it something to, uh, I guess, on the group somewhere. And I talked to you about this, that Turbo is now 20 years old. She's our little baby. She's uh, just like our little child, you know, and uh, looks like she's in her last days here. She's uh, having kidney failure uh which is resulting in severe anemia she's lost a lot of weight she's as i told you before gary she's still uh, very affectionate and you know she looks at you with those big eyes as you mentioned and breaks your heart in a way but i mean this is where as you would say the rubber meets the road when it comes to forgiveness and and seeing things from the perspective of the course and it's just it's tough when it's uh you know somebody that you have been such a long relationship and so close with as we have been with her probably by our next podcast it's probably likely that she will have passed on by then because it's uh, the vet says maybe just a matter of days or weeks but uh you know she's still comfortable she's not suffering or in any pain we're just having to take a lot of care of her but uh you know every day is another little blessing so anyway just want we've immortalized my little baby turbo here so but anyway please continue with that because this is really interesting and this is what i need to hear right now too well yeah i think that um it's important for people to realize that just like with the people uh who we love it's really no different with animals. Uh, they do make spiritual progress. <laughs> Excuse me. Depending on, you know, uh, how they look at others, uh, they come in from a place of love. Uh, they have their own processes. As human beings, we can't really put uh, a judgment on other forms of bodies. You know, we can't even put judgments on our own bodies. It's like uh, we assume that it must be more spiritual to have a healthy body. 
uh, and that it's less spiritual to have a sick body. But that's not true. Uh, a really spiritual way of looking at it, a really enlightened way of looking at it, would be that there's no difference between having a healthy body or a spiritual uh, – there's no more spiritual uh, awareness in that than in having a sick body because neither one is true. Mm-hmm. And if neither one is true, then one can't be more valuable than another. And that's why you know, Course Miracle says that in order to learn this course, it's necessary for you to question every value that uh, you have. You know, because, uh, you know, I mean, you could have an extremely intelligent person also going through life, but if they're not seeing with love and forgiveness, and then you have another person who may be uh, mentally challenged or something, uh, we would assume that what the uh, person who is intelligent thinks is more important than uh, the person who maybe doesn't have a very high IQ or something. But if that person who is mentally challenged is going through life seeing people with love and forgiveness, then I would say that that person is making more spiritual progress in this lifetime than the so-called intellectual mm-hmm. uh, who uses the Course in Miracles to make himself right and other people wrong. You know, so it's not really uh, you know the value that people would put on you or that we put on to others uh, or the value that we put on to human bodies or animal bodies. What's important is how the mind that seems to be occupying that body temporarily – uh, you know, what is that mind doing? Is it thinking with love? Uh, my teachers are in person in the next book. Uh, you know, they teach that uh, intelligence without love is nothing. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think it's very important to realize that it's, it's not, you know, so much uh, what you look like. It's really what's going on in your mind and, and how are you viewing things. And that all uh, beings, including animals, make spiritual progress depending on whether or not they're coming from that place of love. And in the case of humans, it may be a more specific form of forgiveness. But it's really all the same. It's really, uh, you know, are you seeing things with the Holy Spirit or are you seeing things with the ego? And if you're seeing things with the Holy Spirit, even animals, then you are making spiritual progress. And, uh, you know, the point I want to make is that in, in the long run, when this is all over... And we've all stopped uh, being illusions and returned uh, to our reality as perfect spirit, which is perfect oneness with God, then everybody will be there as one. So every animal that you ever loved, every animal that you ever cared about will be there. And you won't miss them, and uh, they'll be there in your awareness of perfect oneness. So, you know, in answer that to that question that people ask so often, the truth is, yes, your animals will be there with you. Uh, in heaven, and you won't miss them, and it'll be a phenomenal experience, much better than anything that this world has to offer, not just for you, but also for them. So, uh, you know, I I just want to encourage people in in that respect, because, you know, uh, nothing is going to be left out, you know, of heaven. We won't be there as bodies, but everybody will be there, uh, animal or human alike. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just wanted people to, uh, to know that, because uh, it seems to be a question that's on the mind of, of a lot of people. And if it's always our projection anyway, as everything is, then once you've gotten the fear, the guilt, the barriers, and the blockages out of the way, what you're left with is the perfect oneness and complete the complete knowing of the of. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, a an animal or a human or anything else or an alien creature. It, there's only one. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Eventually, uh, the idea of separation 
is undone. Uh, as the Course says, salvation is undoing. What we're doing is we're undoing that idea of separation, uh, which is the classic uh, method of undoing the ego. Uh, the way the Course describes it is removing those blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. But mm-hmm. uh, in the end, all that will be left is oneness and wholeness. There won't be any such thing as any form of separation or borders or limitations of any kind. In fact, the Course teaches that the body represents a limit on awareness, which is why uh, the focus of the Course is uh, changing your experience from being a separate being, which is separate from others and also separate from God, uh, and changing that experience back to the experience of what we really are, which is this spirit, which really is perfect oneness with God. And uh, it's a great approach because uh, you're already perfect. You know, what you really are, what our animals really are, what, what all people really are, is this perfect spirit, which is no different than God. And what makes the focus of uh, the Course a little different is that it focuses on undoing the ego through the practice of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Now, as you do this, all the other problems get taken care of naturally. For example, uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, have put their focus in spirituality recently on the acquisition of abundance. But you wouldn't need to be going after abundance if you weren't coming from a place of scarcity. Right. If you already have everything, you don't need to try to get anything. That's right. So what really needs to be undone is the idea of scarcity in the mind. Uh, The way that A Course in Miracles puts it, it says, you know, a sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. You know, so there's really only one lack, and this is idea, you know, it's this idea that we've separated ourselves from our source, that we've separated ourselves from God. And if you could undo that, you know, and, uh, you know, undo the idea of separation from your source, then that would be completely abundant because you, in perfect oneness, you can't have anything missing. You, know, you can't have anything left out. You have everything. Mm-hmm. And if you have everything, you can't have you know, any kind of scarcity. So if you take care of the problem there on the level of the mind, then the forms of scarcity that seem to show up in your life would uh, disappear. You know, it's because what we're seeing, as the Course teaches, is not an outer reflection of an inward condition. So uh, even if you appear to have, you know, a scarcity in your life in the sense that maybe you only have uh, enough food to eat and a place to sleep, well, you know, that may not look like much, but you would feel totally different about it. You know, and the way that you feel is everything. You know, it's kind of like if you feel abundant, then uh, what happens after that would probably lead naturally to abundance. And I'm not saying that uh, you're trying to manipulate the world or change the script or acquire things. I'm just saying that it would happen naturally because, as the Course teaches, what we're seeing is an outer reflection of an inward condition. And if your inward condition is one you know, of scarcity, then what you're going to see is scarcity. Hmm. And uh, if your inward condition is one of abundance, then what you're going to see... Uh, is abundance, and it may not take the form that you expect, uh, because you know the Holy Spirit can see everything. And I say this in my workshops and, and in interviews, but uh, the Holy Spirit can see everything, and the Holy Spirit knows what's best for everybody. So what the Holy Spirit is going to do is going to guide us, you know, to what's best for everybody. Now, uh, I've also said I, I find that very annoying because I know what I want, <laughs> you know, and and I want it now. <laughs> 
you know, but maybe uh, maybe the Holy Spirit knows better because the Holy Spirit can see everything that ever happened, you know, from the beginning of time to the end of time. And uh, so, you know, who, whose judgment is going to be better? Uh, you know, mine or, or the Holy Spirit's. And, and that boils yeah, down that, to, that, I was just going to say, that boils down to what you were just saying before. There's really only two ways to look at things, to look at it with the ego or look look at it with the Holy Spirit. And so this is really cutting right to that right here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, whichever one you choose is going to determine your experience. And experience is actually more important than what, what appears to show up in the world. It's not what appears to show up in the world. It's your experience of what appears to show up in the world that's important. Because if you could go from a place uh, where you were experiencing being a separate body to a place where you were experiencing being what you really are, which is pure spirit, which is something that is totally guiltless, well, Jesus, at the end of his life, and of course his name wasn't Jesus, uh, you know, his name was, was uh, Yeshua. Most people say Yeshua, but it's actually Yeshua. And, uh, you know, it's like um, if you were, you know, coming from a place where you're perfect spirit, you would not be able to suffer. You would not be able to feel pain. As, as the Course in Miracles says, the guiltless mind cannot suffer. Now, if you cannot suffer, then how important would the problems in this world really be? Mm. Well, they, they wouldn't be important at all. In fact, they wouldn't even be problems because it's not the problem that's the problem. It's the pain that's associated with it. You know, so if, if you had no pain, then you wouldn't have any problems. Right. You know, so it's kind of like uh, you're dealing with it more from a level of cause now, you know, instead of effect. Uh, you're dealing with the, with the you know, from the level of the mind, which is very important. <coughs> Excuse me. I still have a little bit of a... I was going to say, you're just getting over this uh, pretty bad flu you had, right, for a while? Yeah, actually, I, I got the worst flu I ever had. I, I was in, i to tell you a quick story. I, I was in the desert uh, in uh, the Yucca Valley, you know, which is uh, about 20 miles from Palm Springs. And is that where they grow yucca? Yeah, it's it's famous for its uh for its yucca spaghetti, <laughs> and uh, it's like um, you know we're doing this workshop, and, and in this workshop we we had to walk outside to go everywhere. Uh, we had these uh, cabins with no heat. Um, we had to walk outside to go to eat, eat dinner and eat meals, and uh, also to do my presentations. I did a two day uh, presentation, so we we were walking outside all the time. Now, this freak storm came up. You know, and uh, the wind was blowing like 50, 60 miles an hour, <laughs> and uh, it was like 30 degrees, oh. and uh, it was just incredible. So it felt like it was below zero, and we had no heat, and we're like shivering. You know, we're actually shaking in the, in these cabins, and it was really the most incredible uh, you know experience that I've ever had doing a workshop. It, I mean, I've never had anything else like it, and it was a, it was a big forgiveness opportunity. Now, obviously, I took that as an, an opportunity, uh, you know, to have the flu for you know a couple of weeks, and uh, you know, I, I almost never get sick, and it didn't cause me to miss any uh, workshops or anything like that. But I just thought it was interesting that uh, it wasn't just the experience itself that was a forgiveness opportunity, but it also gave me an opportunity to experience the body being a little bit sick and, you know, being able to forgive that and looking at that differently than maybe I would have uh, in the past. So I really think that anything that appears to happen to us, we can use that as a learning opportunity and a forgiveness opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I still have a little bit of a cough, but... 
you know, it's not going to stop me from doing a talk and a book signing uh-huh. uh, tonight. And I'm, I'm here in Cleveland, and I'll do an all-day workshop tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I've always found it uh, uh, possible for me to keep going for the last uh, – well, I've pretty much been traveling straight out for about four and a half years now. Uh-huh. And uh, I've always found it possible to keep going. And uh, without the Holy Spirit, I really don't think – that I could, and I really don't think that I would be guided to the right things anyway. So uh, it really is, you know, a very wise decision on anybody's part to kind of like put the Holy Spirit in charge of everything. Ask the Holy Spirit what you should do, because even even just the act of doing that undoes the idea of separation in mm-hmm. your mind. You know, because now you're connected to a source that is higher than yourself. Now you're connected to something that is kind of like the link between you. And God, and uh, by doing that, uh, you're absolving yourself of responsibility. You're absolving yourself of guilt. You're not relying on your own talents and abilities. Instead, you're giving your talents and abilities to the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and, and that's a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is not something that is given to you. A spiritual gift is a gift that you give to the Holy Spirit. In the trust of, of asking. Yes, yes, and that's a real spiritual gift because now you're using that gift in the service of the Holy Spirit, and you will be guided uh, to the right ways to use it. And as you come from a place of love and forgiveness, you'll do the right thing naturally, plus you'll be guided anyway as to what the right thing should be. You know, a lot of people ask, they'll say, well, when I ask, and <laughs> there you go. See, I can talk over the coughing part here. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. No, it's okay. It's another forgiveness. This is for the listeners. Forgive us for making coughing noises. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is the course is very specific about that. We should always ask about everything. Before we do anything, we should always ask. Many people ask us or certainly they mentioned to me i will make sure you ask gary how do you know they'll say well i'm i'm asking but i don't know that i'm getting the right answer or that i'm getting any answer so uh, what do people look for when you ask right i think that uh what you do as you practice and as you go along you start to gain conviction you start to realize that the direction that you're being uh guided in kind of like gives you a feeling of peace and uh you get more discernment as you go along now, it's, it's easy to, to tell a lot of the time which, which voice you're hearing, the Holy Spirit's or the ego's, because the Holy Spirit is always going to be coming from a place of love and forgiveness and encouragement, and the ego usually is not. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, eventually you become like your own minister. You become uh, you know, where you can make that discernment, where you can tell which voice you're listening to, and the guidance, it will feel like uh, it's coming not from you. It'll feel like it's coming from uh, maybe just the form of thoughts that come into your head. It, may, it probably won't be an audible voice in most cases. It's usually not. It's usually not words specifically. Um, in many cases, it's an an, an intuition or a, a, just a certainty about something. Right. I would say it's an abstract idea where you have you know, say you've been trying to get something to work and you haven't been able to make it work and you don't know how. Then all of a sudden, this idea comes into your mind and it tells you how to make that work. Uh, that's an inspired idea. You know, as you know, the word inspired means in spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll just know that, wow, you say, wow, that'll, that'll work. You know, and if, and if you try it and if it works, well, you start to gain confidence that you're hearing the right voice. It's like uh, my teacher Arden said in Disappearance at the end of that chapter, you know, true prayer in abundance. 
He said the most striking evidence of this approach's validity will be that it works. You know, so uh, what you want to do is put the Holy Spirit in charge, learn to listen to guidance, and there are are a couple of other ways of, you know, removing those blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which, and certainly forgiveness is the big one, which uh, we'll talk more specifically uh, in the future as we go along about exactly how to forgive and, and, you know, how it should feel or whether it's necessary for it to feel a certain way. And then, of course, there's that uh, there's that true prayer and abundance chapter and disappearance, which I took and actually... Uh, made into a meditation, mm-hmm. which is the original form of prayer. Uh, I actually do that on my. Uh, I have a, you know, an audio CD program with sounds true called Secrets of the Immortal, and I actually do that meditation on the tape, and people can actually do it with me mm-hmm. uh, on the tape. And uh, you know, as you do these few things that uh, all together that undo the ego and undo the idea of separation, then that naturally leads you know, to inspiration, which you get more and more confidence in simply because the Holy Spirit is taking over your mind, you know, and the more in spirit you are, the more inspired you're going to be. It has to work that way. And our real our real mind is the one we share with the Holy Spirit. So it's not like we're being invaded and taken over. We're actually just turning ourselves over to what we really, truly are. Exactly. And, and once again, that's why the Course says salvation is undoing, because it, it's not that you're uh, becoming anything other than what you already are. It's just that you're undoing the part of your mind that thinks that it's separate and thinks that it uh, is not one with its source. So uh, it's really a classic approach and one that uh, definitely works. Cool. So uh, – Look, buddy, I probably uh, should get going here. because We I've got should a just let people in. know, and we'll let everybody hear this as well. But, yeah, you have a, a busy schedule out there in Cleveland today, so I know you're a little tied up. We, uh, we're we going to do some questions. Maybe what we can do is on our, our we'll get together on this and just record a bunch of questions for Gary and maybe our next episode. I say maybe. Don't hold me to this. Maybe it'll be an all-questions episode. That might be fun. Actually, I, I, I think that's a good idea, Gene. Okay. Uh, we should, I think we should do an episode where we're, uh, we, I just answer questions. People love those, and it's, it really is good stuff, yeah. Two things. Let me just make two quick points right here. First of all, uh, of course, we're recording this today. This episode will actually go out in several days after I've done the processing and all that stuff for it. Uh, but I wanted to let you know on iTunes today at the iTunes store in the spirituality category, the Gary Renard podcast is currently number 12 in the top 100. How's that? Well, I think that's the best we've ever done so far. I right? think so. I, for some reason, I thought we might have broken the top 10 one time, but maybe not. This might be the best score we've had. So out of the top 100, out of the thousands of podcasts available, they have a top 100 rankings, and we're ranked at number 12. So that's doing pretty well, good. We're being beaten. That's fun. We're beaten by Oprah and her Eckhart Tolle thing, but of course they have a little bit more of a machine behind them, shall we say, both financially and, and uh, technically. So. Uh, well, that's true. We're a couple of renegades here. We but, are. Uh, <laughs> this yeah. is Guerrilla Podcast. Oh, yeah. One, one thing I wanted to mention real quickly. Uh, if people access the podcast at iTunes, they have the option to write in some reviews. And we have like 13 or so reviews in there already. All of them are good. We're like five stars out of five. Uh, one of the people recently wrote in and said they really love the podcast, except the co-host, Gene. He sounds like an old-time game show host, and he's kind of annoying. So, Gary, i got to ask you, am I annoying? 
Absolutely not. In <laughs> fact, uh, you know, you have such a great voice that uh, – and by the way, I, th- I think that people sh- should go on YouTube and see your Bandito ah, yes. commercial. I'll have to link that at, at forgiveness.tv. So I'll, I'll put a link there and people can see that's one of my great thespian adventures as an actor. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're a good actor. You're a great uh, – you know, voice, and uh, I, I don't know if people realize that you do voiceover work, but uh-huh. uh, yeah, that's uh, just so, something I mean, you great I, at. I don't mind the game show thing, because actually I've always been a fan of the good game show hosts. Uh, Dick Clark used to host uh, the Pyramid Show at one time, and Bob Barker and these guys, you know, so yeah, but uh, entertainment and broadcasting is what I do, so that, but you know, you know me, this is how I sound all the time. Some people say, oh, you're, you're putting that on. I go, this is how I sound when I order a pizza, you know, so... It's just hey, I'll, I'll vouch. I'll vouch for that. I mean, I, I've known you for a long time. We've yeah. been together many times. Yeah. You sound the same way all the time. <laughs> I, I do. This is just me. It's just what you get, you know. So anyway, but it, the 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 final irony of this is that the person who said I sounded annoying, uh, I think it was it sounded a female name, and she gave us a five star rating, five out of five. So I'm okay with that. You can call me annoying as long as you give us a good rating. That's because <laughs> the show is everything. So. Well, I actually I appreciate those things because uh, since we're not quite as famous as uh, you know Oprah or uh, Eckhart Tolle, it actually does help help us to have people. Oh, sure. You know, give their positive opinions. Absolutely, and, uh, no, and and, it, and a lot of them are very heartfelt. They actually specific. Oh, I love it when Gary does the questions and he really brings it. You know, brings it out. So it, yeah, it's real good. We love that. If you if you go to iTunes, feel free to write us up a review. You know, assuming it's a five star review. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention quickly before we leave, we, we uh, earlier said about naming the new book that'll be named during the show. So real quickly, you meant you referenced it before, but give us the title and when can we expect the third book? Okay, the third book is called Love Has Forgotten No One. And uh, the subtitle is actually uh, The Answer to Life. Mm. And uh, I'm very excited about it. Uh, we were going to put it out in September. It actually looks like it's going to be uh, November the 11th. Okay. Uh, there have been several sources of guidance that have said that that date, 11 11, uh, is a very important date. Uh-huh. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to make any parts of the illusion real, but it's kind of like a, a window to something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so I think what's going to happen is as the workshops go on during the year, I'm going to have the third book become more and more the focus of the workshops. So that by the time, for example, uh, when I do the cruise to Alaska in July, I think from that point on, the workshops will be mostly about the third book, and uh, I'll be talking more about it in interviews and things like that, and, and kind of like pre- preparing people. And then uh, when November the 11th rolls around, then the book will finally be available, and uh, I'm very excited about it. And I, I don't second-guess the Holy Spirit. Uh, that seems to be uh, the guidance, not only that I've gotten, but that uh, people at, at Hay House have gotten, my publisher, uh, that that is the right date. Uh, for this book to be coming out. And so uh, I'm pretty sure that'll be it. Cool. That should be really neat. Um, okay, buddy. I guess we're pretty well ready to go. I want to give a quick shout-out to our buddy Stephen. Uh, he's a friend of ours from the DU group uh, you know, at Yahoo there. He is the one who did a spoof of our podcasts that is absolutely hysterical. I know people at the group have seen that. For podcast listeners here, you're listening to this, if you haven't been there, uh, I will post a link at the forgiveness.tv page so you can get to hear that he really <laughs> he really skewers Gary and I doing impressions of the two of us, and it's him doing both voices. And it, it, I got to say, you, you agreed. It's hysterically funny, isn't it? It is very funny, and he actually very briefly throws in a third voice, which is <laughs> a cartole. Yeah, he which, does. <laughs> 
<laughs> just to give people a teaser, apparently in his in Stephen's twisted, acid-drenched fantasy, uh, apparently Gary is out on the train cars on some kind of a hobo tour across the country with Eckhart Tolle and uh, and other <laughs> spiritual notables. I mean, it's really, really funny stuff. What is this guy taking over? What kind of mushrooms grow in Stephen's yard? I don't know, but he sure is funny. He really is. So, uh, yeah, I'll put a link to that for those who haven't heard this yet. So it's They say imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, so we have been flattered, buddy. <laughs> we ain't kidding. All right, well, good. Listen, give me, uh, as we said, we'll do questions in our next episode. Right now, just give me a quick wrap-up. You know, we always like to have Gary with a closing thought for this podcast, and uh, you have a good time out there in Cleveland, buddy. But leave us, leave us with words of wisdom. Well, actually, I am having a, a good time here in Cleveland, and uh, I, I would say that the focus should be on the main three ways of undoing the ego. The first one is simply, as we said, put the Holy Spirit in charge. Uh, you could take 10 seconds in the morning and say to the Holy Spirit, look, you be in charge of my entire day. You be in charge of my thoughts. Just that simple action is undoing the idea of separation in your mind and putting the Holy Spirit in charge. And yes, uh, you know, you will be told what to do. Even in an emergency, if there isn't time for you to ask, you will still be given wisdom when you need it, as the Course says in the Manual for Teachers. Uh, the second way of undoing the ego is forgiveness. We'll be talking about that more. We've already talked about it, but we're going to talk about it some more. And the third way is that uh, original form of prayer, which is joining with God which is uh, kind of like you become one with God. Eventually, you become silent, which is the original form of prayer. It was actually done silently. And you just become one with your source and become one with God. And I do that on uh, Secrets of the Immortal, and uh, you can do it with me. But, uh, of course, you can do it yourself also. And, uh, you know, those are the three main ways of undoing the ego. I get into them in my workshops, which are a lot of fun also. And... Uh, We'll kind of like amplify that in the third book, which is really about the experience that the Course is directed toward, which is the experience of love, not the love the way that the world traditionally thinks about it, but uh, a kind of experience of love that is all-encompassing and uh, kind of like universal and is full and whole and complete and is just an incredible experience that blows away anything that this world has to offer. So I would say focus on those three main ways of undoing the ego and the rest has to follow naturally. The Gary Renard Podcast is produced by Enlighten Up Creations and presented by Forgiveness.tv. Verbal content of this program is copyright 2008 Gary Renard and Gene Bogart. For more information about Gary Renard and his books, activities, and schedule, go to his website, that's the one he named himself, www.garyrenard.com. And for more information about our podcast and what we're both doing, go to our website, www.forgiveness.tv. This is Gene Bogart saying thanks so much for listening, and I'll look forward to connecting with you again here on the next episode of the Gary Renard Podcast. And remember, whatever the situation or question, forgiveness is always the answer. Hey, Gene, you know, I'm having a hard time making that out. You have to speak up. I'm, I'm kidding. Oh! <laughs>